Good morning. We're working our way through Paul's letter to the Romans. And over the last couple of weeks, um, we've read along as Paul has begun his letter, gave an introduction and a word of thanks. That being done, he wastes no time moving into the body of the letter. And we find ourselves then this morning in the beginning in a no-holds-barred discussion of spirituality and sexuality. Follow along with me. Let's see what he writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural (laughs) relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Rome was morally decadent. There was a philosophy that they practiced, those who had the money to practice it, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Sexual promiscuity in Rome was commonplace, both heterosexual and homosexual. Uh, Those of the lower classes didn't have the means to pursue these excesses. And so for that reason, 
rather than the polytheism and the immorality that they saw culturally, they looked at the Jews who represented 10% of the Roman Empire and Jewish monotheism. They believed in one God and they had a strong moral sense. And for this reason, um, that sensibility, it, it kind of appealed. To many Romans, Jews enjoyed the admiration of society because in some ways they seemed to occupy the moral high ground. They seemed to exercise moral sanity. What ended up happening? They were admired, but they ended up falling out of favor with the government because when Jewish Christians were forced out of Jerusalem into the Roman Empire because of the persecution of Jewish Christians in in Israel, they ended up coming into places and Jewish Christians and Jews entered into fierce debate. The Emperor Claudius said, that's it. And he moved, dispersed uh, Jews out of Rome, both just Jews and Jewish Christians. With the crowning of a new empire five years after he did this, Jews are once again returning to Rome. And in probably within a year of Paul writing this letter, um, they are moving back into the churches that they left. And perhaps a looking down their nose judgmentalism is being brandished by Jewish Christians who are coming back into the church. Who Maybe they walk in, they say, geez, we got here right in time. <laughs> I mean, look at you guys. Um, for those Gentile believers, it was something maybe like having a critical, judgmental older brother or sister go away to college. And and they're away for the bulk of four years, and then they move back home. And you're saying, gee whiz, you know, I was kind of liking being on my own. I, I not having snippiness and snottiness, and, and I kind of enjoyed it. That's maybe a little bit what these Gentile believers feel like. Their spiritual elders are back. And these spiritual elders are pointing out, we came back right in the nick of time. Uh, Paul wades into this controversy. First, he deals with the sins of the unrighteous, Gentile sins, and then very quickly on a dime, he will turn to the sins of the self-righteous, to the sins of the Jews. And again, uh, look with me, I just, or just listen, verse 24 very straightforward. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, speaking of um, Greco-Roman culture, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie, worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. By and large, Greco-Roman culture embraced sexual promiscuity, heterosexual, homosexual, both. By contrast, Jewish culture rejected strongly homosexuality. Jews believed, based in Old Testament scripture, the sexual relationships between a man and a woman were relationships that were according to nature. Um, They believed that homosexuality was contrary to nature. 
contrary to God's intention. Paul characterized homosexuality in this passage as being out of bounds morally. Jews who were listening to this letter as it's being read in a small house church, several house churches, listening would be nodding their heads and casting approving glances at one another, Jewish Christians were. Uh, perhaps they cast sidelong glances at some of their Gentile brothers and said, I hope he's listening to this. Furthermore, they would have believed, as many Christians do, that sexual immorality is the reason for God's judgment. They looked around at what was happening to individuals sitting there, and Jewish Christians would have indicated, perhaps not all, some, I know why you're dealing with what you're dealing with. It's your lifestyle, or the lifestyle of those who surround you. Um, they perhaps had believed that sexual immorality is God's pet peeve, and that if you fall into sexual sin, you really, really are pushing the envelope, and God's going to come after you, lights and siren, going to pull you over, and you're going to experience some very difficult things. Paul, if they listen, and if we listen to what he's saying here, he's saying something very provocative. Uh, Paul is not saying that sexual immorality is the reason for God's judgment. I'm going to say this. Paul is not saying that sexual immorality is the reason for God's judgment. He's saying it's the result of it. He says, he says God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. When it says that God gave them over, I've heard Randy talk about it, and, he, and he, the way he put it, it's like they removed the moral brake pads. You remove the brake pads from a car and you push on the brake and there's nothing there. You just The car just slides through if you've let your brakes go to the point where they squeak. I've heard that happens in some cars. Of course, I would never. I've never experienced that. Uh, but they squeal and squeak and then you have to get the rotors turned. I've heard this happens and you have to spend a lot more money to get your brake job because you didn't should fix the brake pads to begin with. Um, that's a little bit... What it's, um, that's what it's like. And when God gives someone over, it's not talking about individuals. It's talking about culturally, a culture of people. When God gives them over, a just say no approach doesn't work. Doesn't work. No breaks. No moral breaks. That's what it's indicating. Sexual immorality isn't the reason for God's judgment. It's the result of it. Well, if that's strange. If sexual immorality, we'll have to talk about how that works. If sexual immorality isn't the reason for God's judgment, what is? It's a good question. Do you agree? Why would God hand someone over to sexual insanity? Why would he do that? Idolatry is the reason for judgment. Okay, look at, and we'll begin. Look at what it says in the beginning. For the wrath of God is revealed, is being revealed. It's not talking about the future. It's talking about at the time that he is, they're reading this letter. And the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Listen, for what can be known about God 
is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible qualities, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. I'd like you to look out the window with me, if you would. Look out that way or that way. Um, what Paul is describing, it's not that we can know very particular things about God, but if you look out and you see that's like a tableau, it's like a canvas with God's signature on it. And there's some things that you can glean about God from looking at creation. He kind of knows what he's doing. He doesn't throw things together, you know what I mean? And and God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, now I I try hard, but what I know happened this past week, my house was cold just like yours was. God doesn't put cold on some unrighteous people and warmth on the rest of us. As far as I know, everybody got frozen to death this past week. It didn't matter if you're a moral boogerhead or if you can walk on water. And God sends rain on the just and the unjust. And there's something to that that we can come away with. He doesn't automatically give AIDS to somebody who is immoral. There's some things we should know about God. Sexual sin is a consequence or outworking of a rejection of God and a failure to honor Him. It's seeing God and erasing, wait, 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 erasing God's name from the tableau of creation. It's looking at God should be able to draw some inferences from him and then just dismiss it. He says that's the reason for God's judgment. And so we're not saying sexual sin in an individual is a consequence of their individual act. This is not individual. Paul's describing a cultural bent, and he looks at Greco-Roman culture and what he says the sexual excess that they could not control was a result of a ongoing failure to recognize God. They worshipped created things, many gods and, and crawling things. If you look at the legacy of the different gods that Greco-Roman culture or Persian culture, they, Egyptian culture, all manner of different gods. And Paul his saying, should have known better. Why? They didn't hear about, but there's enough there to make some inferences about what God is like. He's not a snake. He's not arbitrary. There's some things that, and so men without excuse, that's what Paul writes. Paul knew that he and his countrymen um, probably were in a place that they would look down at these stupid Gentiles and their sexual excess. Paul broadens the definition of sin from sexual lovelessness to social lovelessness. And in so doing, he will indict now. He turns from 
sexual immorality to social immorality. And as he turns from this to that, he will indict not just Gentiles, but he will turn the focus to Jews, not to the unrighteous alone, but to the self-righteous. And since, since he says in verse 28, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. A debased mind is a mind that can't work as a moral arbiter. It's kind of busted. Our brains exist in the context to help us make good, sane, moral, spiritual choices. That's the way the mind is configured. And so what ends up happening, it says God gave over to a mind that, okay, not registering, not acknowledging God, that he's going to, God's going to tinker with our brain in a way and say, okay, now your brain doesn't really work that well. It's not just a matter of moral choices, just different social choices. Lacking the ability to have a mind that can discharge the purpose for which it was created. Um, he goes on and talks about what that was, that's going to produce. So what's that going to produce? Certain. And he gets away what you'll notice. He gets away from sexual stuff, and he moves to social stuff. Um, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. You know what that is? Unrestrained wanting. Malice. They are full of envy. Murder, strife, deceit, maliceness, gossips. Again, do you get you get what's happening here? And it's before <laughs> if the Jewish Christians were there, they well, hope they're listening to this, you know, what side of glasses and then got wait, gossips, wait, wait. Well let's get back to that other thing that you were talking about. Let's get back let's get back to the big list. You know, the sexual let's can we get back to that list and he doesn't. Keeps on going. He talks about gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. We're going in the wrong direction here. We're supposed to start with the little ones and then get rid of sexual immorality. It's not what he does. What's he doing? What's he doing? You know what he's doing? He's painting a picture. All are guilty. Chastity is not the litmus test of spirituality. Charity is. Love is. That's what Paul's going to wield. That's something that the Gentiles needed to hear. It's something the Jews needed to hear. He talks about foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree. Again, do you see what's happening here? It's not talking about those who don't know the righteous decree, <laughs> those Gentiles. He's talking to Jews now, those who know the decrees, those who know the rules. He's indicting them. And if they weren't squirming when they were hearing this letter, now they are. Because now they know who he's talking to. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Again, those who know God's righteous decree, he's talking about Jews now. Unmistakably. Um, he accused them of giving approval to those who practice. What is he talking? You know, the one thing about letters, it's like a two-way conversation, but you only hear one side. So what happened, Paul heard something. You know, if you listen to a conversation, you can draw some inferences, but you have to fill in the blanks. Those who do such things, they, yeah, they, mm-hmm, giving approval, yeah. So what's happening, we don't know exactly, but perhaps as Jews come back into Rome, maybe they... A lot of bucks to um, to an official help to get the business back. Now the official is perhaps as a Roman who is affluent is morally decadent, but he's not a real bad guy. I slipped him I slipped him some bucks and he put me back in business and he put me back in a house and so because he benefited me, I'll approve of him. He's okay. It's the rest of the, you understand what I mean? I think that that's what Paul could be pointing out, and maybe that's what happened. It's likely that it happened as they tried to establish themselves back in society. We don't know. What we do know is that um, God gave them up in a debased, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. He gives men and women, not just the unrighteous but self-righteous, over to spiritual insanity. Spiritual insanity, the inability to make sane spiritual choices. And for those who have been given over, just say no doesn't work. It's just not in the DNA anymore. That's what he's describing. Spiritual insanity doesn't only present as sexual immorality, it presents as other forms of lovelessness. Again, the larger issue is that faith is not expressing itself in love. Love is the mark of a Christian. And lovelessness can look like sexual immorality, but lovelessness can look like social immorality as well. And what he does, Paul takes both of these things and throws them in one bowl. Individuals that don't think they should be in one bowl, but they are, because that's what God measures. Love, the degree to which we give of ourselves to others. Um, fact is, um, you don't need to be a Christian to be sexually moral. You do need to be a Christian to love broadly and deeply, not expecting anything back. That takes something more than what culture will reward you for. That takes Jesus. He's the one who demonstrates what it means to come and live a life for the benefit of someone else. And he would have us as his sons and daughters recognize the character of God and recognize Jesus and chart our course um, in the way that he would have us to be. Spiritual insanity causes us to love things and use people. 
rather than love people and use things. Love people. And in Gentile culture, people were loved, and we are morally probably pretty closer to Rome than Israel. That's a pretty safe bet. We tend to love people the way we love oranges. Peel them, squeeze them, throw them away. We do that sexually. What they do. We do it socially. It's interesting when you look at the Bible. Every once in a while it condemns sexual immorality. We think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, they got what was coming to them. <laughs> Listen to this. This is really, I think I've read this before. It's in Ezekiel. Listen to this with the description of Sodom. This was the sin of your sister Sodom. I'm sorry, Mike. I've got the little ones here. We can't, we can't really talk about this. Listen to what it says about the sin of Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Isn't that strange? That's what it says about the sin of Sodom. It was rooted in self-centeredness and the sexual aberration that came afterwards. That's, that's not the root of the problem. It was the fruit of the problem. Okay, we've talked about this. Okay, it's, what is the solution? What's the solution? This is what Paul wants to establish. He's going to hold everybody guilty, but he's going to come up with a solution. Would you agree? We need to access the power of God, right? How the heck do we do that? Paul has described, chapter 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, what is the power of God contained in? The gospel. And we'll talk about that. That's what he's going to talk about in this letter. What is the gospel? To the degree we believe the gospel, root our belief in it, it will we will find ourselves accessing a power that will lift us. Now, never, we'll never be perfect. Over time, and I'm going to say years, the gospel is easy perhaps to define. I want you to listen to me. It is very difficult to believe deeply. It is easy to believe that God blows up sexually immoral people. It's difficult to believe that he comes and dies for them. And, you, and I'm, I just, it just, all you have to do is switch on Christian stuff and it's just all over the place. Very difficult. Very difficult. Very difficult. Very, very difficult difficult to think sanely about God. But that's 
where the power is. And it doesn't happen overnight. Some of you make lousy moral choices. This is where you need to be. You don't leave until you can make good moral choices. You know what I mean? Because good moral choices, good social choices, those come from believing the gospel. And it takes time. Be patient with yourself. As you're thinking about God, starts and it gets a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. You'll find yourself being a little more gentle with yourself. Your thinking will change. You know, we talked about addiction. It's not a drinking problem. It's a thinking problem. It's not a sexual problem. It's a thinking problem. And what ends up happening as thinking about him shifts, it will change you. Because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. It's the way it works. But it's not fast. It takes time. His power is accessed by those who believe the gospel. You know what God commissions the church to do? To behold the gospel and to reflect it to the world. A just-say-no control won't work. When you think of it, who did Jesus have greater problem with? The unrighteous or the self-righteous? Oftentimes what the church presents to the world, if you could make choices like I make, then God would love you. What the heck is that? I'll tell you what it isn't. It is not the gospel. You know what the gospel is? When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were making good choices, but when we weren't. And God wants us to reflect that to the world. Uh, problem. We're supposed to reflect that to the world. So we'll do communion, and that's what communion stands for. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What is that? That's the gospel. You know what we're supposed to do? Behold it. Make room for it. Week after 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 week, and it starts to sink in. We come to somebody who is making bad choices. And what ends up happening, we start to think of this, and we reflect that to them. I know exactly what you mean. I make lousy choices too. Fortunately, God's love is not for those who make good choices, it's for those who don't. Mm. This is what we're supposed to behold and reflect to the world. 
God demonstrates his own love toward for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's asking us to reflect that to the world. He's not, ask, he's not asking the church to reflect. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. He's not asking us to reflect that. What the problem in a nutshell is, the world cannot behold what the church does not reflect. They can't know it. He tells it to us, and we're supposed to tell it to them. And the message he wants us to portray is not God blows up those who make stupid choices. The the world cannot behold what the church does not reflect, and the church cannot reflect what it does not behold. Would you agree? You can't reflect what you don't behold, and the world can't behold what we don't reflect. And what Paul is doing, he's trying to get them to reflect to the world what they needed to reflect to the world. How do we apply this? Encouragement, not accountability. Encouragement. There was a guy I was in when I was in China. I was did a conference, and there was individuals there from different agencies, and I talked about self righteousness in one message. One guy came up. This guy. And he said, you know what, Mike? And he's being quiet with me. He goes, I think I deal with this. And and I said, you know what? Everybody does, but you're willing to admit it. I didn't get a chance to spend much time with that guy. I really wish I could have. Missionaries can be pretty harsh. I'm not sure he got a lot of grace. I found out afterwards that he um, he left his wife and family. Again, he, you can understand why I'm telling you this. And he and he embraced a homosexual lifestyle. Now. What I'm wondering is how much the judgment he would have received caused him to feel like he didn't have any choice. People holding him accountable, saying, you should know better, and I don't know if he had much room. It can be difficult. On this side of the ocean, I sat with a guy and I didn't get to know him as well as I wish I had gotten to know him. He hadn't been involved in a homosexual lifestyle for a long time and tried and tried and pulled and tried and pulled, and he just came to a point. He contracted AIDS, and he said to me, you know, Mike, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this fight. And he said, I just want morphine. And I just want to leave. And that's what he did. And you know what? I could understand. 
I wish he had had the time to be able to think and know about what God was like. I don't know exactly what it would have done, but I think he would have been able to be gentler with himself. Encouragement, not accountability, and believing, then behaving. Believing, then behaving. It says, Paul writes, in terms of what his goal was, he said, we received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. You know what the obedience of faith is? It's different different than the obedience of behavior. What Paul understood, you have to get people to believe the right thing. He says in 2 Corinthians, we're ready to punish every disobedience once your obedience is complete. Wait, whoa, hey, What? Punish every disobedience once your obedience is complete. You know what he's talking about? Different obediences. We'll go after the behavior once the belief is in place. Once you understand what the gospel is, once you believe it, once you've been rooted in it enough to be able to believe what God is actually like, then we'll go after behavior. Come on, man, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Let's talk about it. What do you get from that? Now we can have a discussion. Now we can talk. You know what I mean? But you've got to be able to be rooted in this stuff first, and that takes time takes time. It's believing, then behaving. That's what Paul was about, the obedience of faith. And um, covenant clarity takes a long time. The way I'd apply this, demanding that someone forsake homosexual practices or heterosexual practices before being taught to understand and believe the gospel is to put the cart before the horse. You understand what I mean? Where's the power come from? Believing. Doesn't happen overnight. Takes time. Attending the church to get people to accept Jesus into their life and then assume you know everything you need to do. Now, act like it. You're a Christian, act like it. And we assume that it's easy to bring about the obedience of faith. Can I tell you something? It is not. It's not easy. To understand what God's actually like. Gentle. Understand God's like Jesus. And over time, we continue to look at him and his commitments. And I'll, I'll encourage you. Over the course of the next, Romans is a really, really interesting letter. We're going to learn things about God over the next months. And so what I'd encourage you to do, again, zero in on Romans. Read it. I'm going to say something. Watch out what else you listen to. That sounds arrogant. There's all kinds of stuff out there about what religion should and should not be, focus on Romans for a little bit of period. Read it. There's a class discussion at 9 o'clock. Come to it. There's a thing back there. If you can't take one, if you don't have money, take one. The Case for Grace. It has some studies in Romans. 
in which you get to know about the grace of God in Romans. Why would you need to know about the grace of God? Because that's where the power of God is. And it takes time. So, in a while since you've gone through 40 days with the Ten Commitments, go back through it. Why? Because it takes time. It takes time. You say, Mike, it's too late for me. I keep making stupid choices. No, it isn't. We're walking this road together. You've got to continue to think about who he is and his grace. It will change you over time. And by time, I mean years. I, I think that's what it takes, a long time. Tune out things that are harsh and condemning. Turn the radio off. I'm going to say something Mark Lordson has said. Be careful about reading the Bible by yourself. You could land in places. Again, am I telling you don't read the Bible? No, no, but be careful. Be careful. If you run across things you don't understand, ask. Mike, I don't get it. I can... That's the way it's supposed to work. That's where it's supposed to work. You're supposed to ask questions. You get questions answered. We walk together. We understand this together. So um, what am I saying? Hey, I think Mike said don't read the Bible. Did, did Mike Did Mike say don't read the did, John, could you? No, I didn't. I did say be careful. I'll let that stand. Get your questions answered. Um, communion. It celebrates in the gospel. God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for you when you were making bad choices. Ungodly, weak, sinful. God sent his son then. That's what this table represents. So you take the bread and you take the cup and you think about this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What if you made a lot of room for that verse in your mind? What if you thought about it again and again? What do you think it would do? It would be a little more natural to reflect it to others. So that's what communion is. It gives us the opportunity to sit and think about love that will not let us go, and he wants us to believe it and reflect it. So sometime during the course of the next moments, then you take the bread and the juice and, and think of the covenant that, that Jesus came to establish with you and then we'll have a song. We pray for us. you for the gospel and it's the power it's your power unto salvation to everyone who believes belief is not an easy thing it's we believe a lot of different things and we don't connect the dots very well culturally i think that's been true for a long time we see we should see things from looking outside but we miss them and you know that that's why you give us message that crystallizes the things that we should glean from what we see, and it's that you are not reactive. You 
Um, there are things you want, and as we understand who you are and what your good news is, it filters down into our heart and changes us from the inside out. It's not fast. doesn't happen tomorrow. We'll struggle, make dumb choices, but more and more and more. Love will become that which we find ourselves moving towards, both sexual and social. I pray that you'd continue to change us and that we would learn to behold so that we could reflect that which the world needs to see. In Jesus' name, amen.